My office is right across that hall. Any monkey business is ill-advised. Any questions? Yeah, I got a question. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? John Hughes directed only eight pictures, but in little over two years, between 1984 and 1986, he made four movies about American adolescents that still stand as important contributions to Hollywood's teen drama. Ferris Bueller is my personal favourite, if only because it is a poem to what I did best at school, skipping class. My personal record was mitching nine consecutive days, and the teachers never complained. I can only presume because they were happy I was absent. Anyway, Hughes' best film is about five high school students doing detention on a Saturday morning. They are told to write an essay on why they are there. Each of them have their own clique, but for the situation of detention, they are all suddenly outsiders and have to fend for themselves. Throughout the course of the day, they begin to see beyond their differences and inadvertently provide therapy for one another. Who needs analysts and parents when you have The Breakfast Club? Dear Mr. Vernon, we accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong. But we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling you who we think we are. And you see us as you want to see us. In the simplest terms, with the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a brain. And an athlete. And a basket case. A princess. And a criminal. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours. The Breakfast Club. As is so typical of films from the 80s, pop music plays an important part. Remember, MTV was a new channel that was crying out for content to fill its 24-hour running schedule. So with kids tuning in around the clock, what better way to reach your audience than getting a singer to record the title track for your movie? The video was basically your three-minute commercial. Performed by Simple Minds, Don't You Forget About Me may have been the theme song, but it is the lyrics of David Bowie's Changes, quoted at the start of the film, that more clearly indicates the message. And these children that you spit on and stay Try to change their worlds Are immune to your consultations They're quite aware of what they're going through Changes Anyway, The Breakfast Club opens with a series of shots showing us the empty holes of the school on a Saturday morning. One particular shot shows us a student's locker, and on the door are the words... What inspired Bob Geldof to write that song was an event that occurred in California on January the 29th, 1979. Schoolgirl Brenda Ann Spencer went on a shooting spree, killing two adults and wounding eight schoolchildren. Asked why she had done it, Spencer said, I don't like Mondays. This livens up the day. And all that brings me around to the manner in which cinema addresses the chaos and anarchy that so often bursts in through the door to completely upend and sometimes destroy adolescence. A lot of the time, we're told that Rebel Without a Cause, released way back in 1955, was the movie that invented the teenager. While that is patently untrue, one thing we can agree on was that the film was very bland. To see something quite risque, you need to leave America altogether and go to Britain and a school called St Trinian's. 
The Centrinian series were more comedy than social commentary, but nonetheless, they did cast Alistair Sim as headmistress Millicent Fritton. Now, men performing as women is a tradition that dates back as far as the Elizabethan times, but the real point of amazement about the Centrinian series is the sexualisation of the senior girls. Yeah, well, that's the trouble. He sort of fancied a lot of you. He wants sure to come to Rome as his guests. <gasps> He's a good-looking cove, too. Rolling in knicker. His family makes calf espresso machines. When are we going to leave, Harry? How can we before the end of July? Now, Revel Without a Cause focused on the romance between Jim, played by James Dean, and Judy, played by Natalie Wood. But there was a third person in the story, Plato, played by Sal Minio. Plato has a snapshot of the matinee idol Alan Ladd in his locker, and the way Plato idolises Dean's character, it is quite obvious that he is gay. So, looking back from 2013, it is clear who the real rebel is and who has the real cause. Dear diary, Heather told me she teaches people real life. She said, real life sucks losers dry. If you want to fuck with the eagles, you have to learn to fly. I said, so, you teach people how to spread their wings and fly? She said yes. I said, you're beautiful. God, come on, Veronica. In Heathers, four girls, three of the eponymous title, and one named Veronica, played by Winona Ryder, vie for top spot in the school's social clique. Problems begin when a new boy arrives. His name is JD. How very. And he's played by Christian Slater. And he is more than just a rebel on a motorbike. He is an adolescent anarchist with access to Semtex. With such terror within its reach, when the dust settles in the final scene of Heathers, rebellion is reduced to rubble because the manifesto was satirical, not political. The Columbine massacre changed all that. When news spread of the carnage, a variety of claims were made as to what caused the attack. Social cliques, violent films, video games, rock music, the internet, access to guns, everybody had a scapegoat. The movie Elephant, directed by Gus Van Zandt and which won the Palm d'Or at the 2003 Cannes Film Festival, graciously rejected such simple patterns of cause and effect. Instead, it created an innovative and intricate structure to show a fictitious massacre from several viewpoints. Now, by way of underlining my point, if you watch The Breakfast Club, pay attention to how the frame is composed. Hughes preferred to keep his camera still. He rarely moved it, and as far as he was concerned, the camera simply recorded what was happening in front of it. Now compare that to the way Gus Van Zandt chose to film Elephant. Van Zandt employed a near-constantly roving camera as it followed the students as they went about their school day. But it is not only that. What Van Zandt does is frequently loop the story back to an earlier point on the same day to show us another perspective of the same scene. In that way, he did not merely film the massacre, but provide a profound meditation on its nature. With a seemingly free-floating camera that moves with terrifying ease and a soundtrack that is layered with ambient, dislocating noises and voices, the long, uninterrupted scenes don't give you a single viewpoint, but a variety of them. And so the film urges you to consider the greater social complexity behind the bloodshed. There was no one cause for Columbine. There were many causes. But whatever they are, they all add up to show how delicately balanced adolescent life can be.